Um, you know, it's been interesting as I come in, come and go to work all week long, um, in and out of the office. Um, I, I, I drive by, you know, I come down Florida Avenue and then come across Yule Road. And for those of you that come that direction, um, you've, you've seen, as I've seen, these houses that are being built um, there on Yule Road, the, the really cool ones. Um, uh, it's like Cross Creek Acres or I don't know, something or other. Um, but it, but I, I just, I've, I've been thinking about that as you know, think about building our faith on the right foundation and watching them um, build these houses and, you know, they bring in all these truckloads of sand and it's like, what are they going to, what are they building there? You know, because they built the barn first, which is like, so then when they started building a house, you didn't know it was going to be a house. It's like, they built another barn? Like, what? Um, another spot for goat yoga or something? I don't know. Um, and then it became, it became clear finally that, you know, they, they started putting up the walls this week. But it's, but it's amazing how long they have to spend getting the foundation right first. They, they, they got to dry it all out. And I know a guy in Sebring who his whole business is dewatering which in the state of Florida, you're, you're never going to run out of work. Um, but, you know, you got to get it dry enough. And then you got to pack enough, get the, the, that pack sand in there, and you got to pack that down and get that so it's really settled. And then, then you, well, before, before you pour the concrete, then you got you to gotta dig and put whatever pipes you're going to put. You know, so you get the, then that, that was when I started to know it was a house. You started seeing all these pipes sticking up out of the ground. And, uh, and then they get that, get that concrete pad poured. And then in two days, all of a sudden, poof, the walls are up. Oh, now it's now starting to look like a house. But it's amazing. I don't know why it surprises me, but every time, it's amazing how much time has got to be spent getting that foundation right. As we've seen in Fort Myers, some houses weathered the hurricane really well and some not so much. And the ones in particular that uh, didn't weather it so well are the ones built out on a sandbar known as Sanibel Island. And if you, as we've all seen the pictures, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. You know, we've, we've kind of artificially maintained the, the size and shape of that island because we wanted to stay that way so we can keep, you know, maintaining the real estate there. But, you know, naturally, if, if not for being artificially maintained, that, that island would kind of change shape over different storms and over the years and, and whatnot. And, and eventually, the, the power of God in a storm comes through, and it happens. And it is just, wow, what a, what a reality check that um, <laughs> who can stand? Who can stand before the power of God? Um, and and, I, and, I, and I, don't, I don't say that in any, any way. It's like pronouncing judgment on the people for having houses there. That's not the point at all. Um, but wow, what a... What an incredible reminder of the power of God. And, and, so, and so, of course, we also, we also pray to the same God that has that power to then sustain the people affected by the storm, to draw them to him. Um, I want to be praying for Pastor Matt Niemeyer, Pastor Eric Brunk. Um, these are pastors in our fellowship that are, are spending some time down there. Pastor Matt Niemeyer, is, is, his church is down there, Villas Grace. Uh, in Fort Myers, and Pastor Eric Brunk is from Brooksville, and he's down there helping him evangelize. Pastor Eric Brunk is this really, really strong guy. He just looks like he's got arms like bigger than my legs, but he's got one of them in a sling right now. And he's used to being able to lift, you know, go and move heavy things. But he said, you know, I can't do any of that. But, but I can go and help share the gospel. I can go and help spread the knowledge of God in this time. And so, uh, keep them in your prayers. 
Um, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we approach his word this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much that you are the God of the storm. You are the God of all creation. God, so many, in, in so many ways throughout history, water, and particularly the raging waters, represent chaos. And you, in so many ways, demonstrate your power over them. From the story of creation where your spirit is hovering over the waters of the deep before the dry land has been brought forth, and then you demonstrated your control over them, bringing order out of chaos. God, you demonstrated uh, multiple times in front of your disciples your ability to calm the storm, your ability to walk on the wind and waves. You are in complete control. God, that's a kind of control we know nothing about. And so we beseech you that your will would be done um, through your work, that your will would be done through your workers. God, we lift up Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric and, and other, uh, other pastors and, and lay people that are, are doing your work down there in Fort Myers, both being the hands and feet in helping their neighbors and also in proclaiming with their mouth the message of the gospel, that the God who holds that kind of power is the only one who can save us from our sins. God, we pray for the hearts of people, that they would be soft and receptive to that message. God, we pray for our service this morning. God, that our time in, our, in your word would, of course, be profitable as your, your word never returns void. But God, we also just pray that, um, that during, this, during this service, your name would be lifted high, that your church would be built. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. We're going to read through to um, chapter 3, verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes here, therefore, now wait a minute, you can't just pick it up at a therefore. So therefore, what's, what's there? Whenever you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask a question. What's the question? What is it there for? And so, uh, so, Quick, quick recap. Uh, last week, um, Ethan LaBeouf preached. Um, for those that don't know, Ethan is our Ethan and his wife Emily uh, lead our youth ministry here, and uh, we're proud to have them as part of our church and part of our team. Uh, he did a fantastic job laying out in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through ten, the gospel, and uh, we're going to preach on that again this week um, because, as it turns out, every passage in some way points to Christ. The gospel, the saving message of salvation through Christ is in every passage. And so uh, he did an incredible job laying this out. Verses 8 and 9 are probably very familiar to you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, 
which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, There's a lot in here and a lot to unpack and more than we really even have time to effectively cover this morning. But I want to first kind of couch this in the greater context of the book of Ephesians. Paul has um, been on a missionary journey through Galatia and through Ephesus in that region of, um, of um, Asia Minor, uh, planted some churches, um, met some believers who had already believed, um, preached to some, um, as, as one of my church planting friends likes to call, pre-Christians, um, those who had not, had not yet heard the gospel, but when they heard it, they believed. And, And then he got back to Jerusalem and promptly was arrested and put on trial before Rome. And so he wrote a series of letters to some of these churches that he had started um, to reassure them, listen, I I know you've you've probably heard, uh, I'm in jail. 
Um, but I want you to know that this is not like some sign from God that I was on the wrong track. This is every bit confirmation that we're on the right track. You know, take a look at, take a look at who is opposing us and, and remember that this message of Christ is bigger than us and bigger than that. And so he's encouraging them through that and reminding them of the gospel that he preached to them. Um, <clears throat> you'll notice that part of what I read here is, um, is part of what... Um, I can't call him Steve. Part of what Dad read. Um, we read that as our assurance of pardon this morning, that, that he himself is our peace. We are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What an incredible verse that reassures us who believe of our position in Christ. And so... I want to kind of start at the beginning here and go through this passage. And so um, forgive me, I don't have slides this morning. And so I don't have these like well-defined points. I really tried. Um, but just, just, uh, just go on a journey with me through this passage as we, um, as, we, as we kind of pick it apart and see what, what he's talking about. And first, the very first thing he opens with is something a little bit confusing to us, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on the details of it. But he says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. What is he talking about? Okay, well, the, the covenant of circumcision was a, um, a covenant that God um, gave to Abraham. This was a, a, a physical manifestation of the, the separateness of the nation of Israel. This was a, you know, this is made in the flesh by hands. This is a, if you don't know what it is, ask your parents. Um, but but th- this, was, this was a thing that, that God gave as a symbol that this is, this is what will mark you, as different from the world around you. And so, so in the New Testament, in the first century, and, and even before that, those who were part of the nation of Israel referred to anyone who did not have that mark as collectively the uncircumcision. They're Gentiles. They're, you know, they, they were referred to with all of this language that we see in here, strangers, Aliens, not part of the household of God, not part of the family of God, not citizens of God's kingdom. And so there was this mindset among the nation of Israel that anyone without that physical symbol cannot come and be, um, cannot approach God's throne, cannot be partakers in the promises of God. And what Paul is saying here is that through Christ, those things, that that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And that now the even the Gentiles are see before if you, if you wanted to if you wanted to know God, if you wanted to know, you know, through the Old Testament, through the law, what God, who God is and what he expects of you. Remember when we talked about that, that we we believe in a in a God, the God of the Bible is a God who who can be known through his word. And if that's the case, then we, need, we have a responsibility to know him. But as we know him, we learn that he is a God who expects something from us. And so it, back in the Old Testament, if, if you wanted to, in the, in the ancient times, you wanted to know God, you, the way to God was kind of through the nation of Israel. There was a whole process that you could basically become Jewish. And, um, and, and that was, you know, and, you know, that, that was supposed to be, 
It was supposed to be um, that the nation of Israel were like God's emissaries in the world. They were the, the, the people group that God had revealed himself to specifically, more than just looking around creation and recognizing there is a God. He had, he had spoken to them. He had given them the law. He had given them um, prophets. He had, he had revealed his character and who he is and his promises and made covenants with the nation of Israel exclusively. In the, in the Abrahamic covenant, God told Abraham that all the nations of the world will be blessed through you, which is partly a reference to Christ, that the blessing of the offer of salvation will be through the nation of Israel, that Jesus Christ the Messiah would come, um, will be, would be born into the nation of Israel, and that through them the world would be blessed. But it's also, it was also a kind of a charge to the family of Abraham that through you the world will be blessed because through you the world can know about me. Um, now, whether or not they did a, a great job at that is kind of neither here nor there because before we start pointing the finger really hard, let's ask ourselves how good a job are we doing representing God in the world. This is one of the reasons I, I, I always dismiss us with the phrase, let's go and be his witnesses because that is our, that is our charge and our mission. So, as we... Uh, as we Look through this passage a little further. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Can, can we just point out that this is the fallen condition? Everything he just described here, sure, he's talking about Gentiles and how they, they weren't Jewish and so they weren't able to um, partake in the promises in the Old Testament, the, the covenants to Abraham, the covenant to David. Those, those covenants did not apply to the Gentiles because they were not part of the nation of Israel. And so they, they didn't know about God. They didn't have his law. They didn't know him. And so they, they were, in, in that sense, strangers and aliens. But the reality is that is true. What he says there is true of all of us who don't know Christ. All of us before we bent our knee in submission to God and asked and pleaded before his throne for forgiveness, on what basis? The blood of Christ. Because in Christ we are forgiven. Until that moment of salvation, this describes Every one of us and every one of our loved ones, every one of our friends and neighbors, every one of our children that have not professed faith in Christ. Remember, let's always remember that we are surrounded daily by people who are separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on the scriptures, um, said it this way. Who, he says, Christ and his covenant are the foundation of all the Christian's hopes. A sad and terrible description is here. But who is able to remove himself out of it? Would that this were not a true description of many baptized in the name of Christ. Who can, without trembling, 
reflect on the misery of a person separated forever from the people of God, cut off from the body of Christ, fallen from the covenant of promise, having no hope, no savior, and without God, without any God but a God of vengeance. Let's remember that. Those that have not been saved by God are under his condemnation righteously, having no God but a God of vengeance to all eternity, to have no part in Christ. What true Christian can hear this without horror? Salvation is far from the wicked, but God they help at hand to his people. And this is by the sufferings and death of Christ. That verse 12, I, I hope, this is not one of the ones we commonly memorize, but let, let's keep that in our mind. Remember that you were at that time. It is a reminder of our own condition. He is, he, he's speaking here to Gentiles, but in other places he speaks, quite frankly, to Jewish believers who really struggled. One of the, one of the hardest things they struggled with that Jesus constantly was confronting them with was their self-righteousness and what I would call religious elitism. Well, hey, we know God and you don't, and he likes us better. No, he doesn't. In fact, this, this passage goes on to make clear that it says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. But then he, he goes on and, and talks later that in verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And he's talking about those who know nothing about God and know those that know a lot about God, but you can know a lot about God and not know God. Didn't Jesus say, there, in, in, in the last days, there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. It is possible to sit in churches and learn a lot about God without knowing him. Those who were far off, those who were near. There's a funny thing about being near. You're still not there. That, that idea that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and Ethan talked about that last week. I mean, if, if we were all to line up against the chain link fence back here and take rocks and see who could throw them all the way to the fence in the back. None of us could throw it all the way to the fence. Some would be nearer and some would be further off, but all would have fallen short. And that is a great picture of the, the, the real situation between the Jews and the Gentiles. All still, it doesn't matter that the Jews knew a lot more about God than the Gentiles. All fell short of the glory of God. All were in equal need of a Savior when Jesus Christ hung on that tree. It was, it, it, when, I, when I first read this passage, the first thing that came to mind was a, was a quote from Billy Graham, which you may be familiar with. I'm sure you're familiar with Billy Graham, but you may be familiar with this quote. He said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And, and there, is, there is a reality that, that we are all in equal need of a Savior, you know, religious elitism, like the Jewish people were struggling with in the, in the first century and throughout antiquity, and self-righteousness are not um, foreign to the church today. You see, for, for some of us who have been saved for a long time, 
we bowed our knee to Christ at a young age. I was six years old when I recognized my need for a Savior. And um, I was very much a sinner. But, you know, there were a lot of things I was not involved in as a six-year-old. Does that mean that God got a really good deal when he saved me? Like it was easier to save me than it, than it was to save the, um, the individual that, uh, that struggled with drug addiction or that, um, or that killed somebody or that, you know, fill in the blank with whatever your, you know, picture of a terrible, horrible sinner is. Was it easier to save me than it was to save him? Funny thing about those who are near and those who are far off, it costs the same to redeem them from the kingdom of death, the, 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 the state of condemnation, to buy them back. It, all of us cost the blood of Christ. The, 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 so the scripture says in Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. And so let's remember that while we have a, a you know, our, our system of, um, of punishments in our, our country today, you know, there are misdemeanors and there are felonies and there are different degrees and some are worse than others and therefore the, the, the punishments for some are much more stringent than others. Not so in our salvation. It, it, it's not that... Well, I was a pretty good person as a six-year-old, and so um, for me, Jesus only needed to get, you know, slapped on the knuckles for what I'd done. No, our sin is more than just what we've done. It is a state of being. It is a, a state of being that is opposed to God and, and that is for myself. It is that identity of sinner that has to be redeemed and moved, removed from us. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so is your, are your transgressions removed from you. That identity of sinner has to be taken away. And a new identity is given to us. And he, talk about, he talks about this and, and describes it in several different ways in this passage. And, and how this, this, we're given this new identity. Can I, can I pause here that as, as, the, as the church in our culture today, there are sinful identities that people take on themselves. And it is, it, is a, it is a sad state that people made in God's image, people who Christ died for, but that are far from God, strangers and aliens to the promises, separated from him, having no hope and without God, or as Matthew Henry put it, without any God but a God of vengeance, living, can we say confused, looking for an identity that will bring some sort of satisfaction, that will, that will ease the pain, that will bring pleasure, that will, you know, fill in the blank. Well, maybe if I, if I brand myself with this identity, I will find satisfaction. 
The reality is, they just don't know. They don't know that the identity of sin must be removed and a new identity given to us. Let's look at that identity. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The church here, again, Matthew Henry's commentary, he said the church is compared to a city. And every sinner, every converted sinner is free in it. It is also compared to a house. And every converted sinner is one of the family, a servant and a child in God's house. The church is also compared to a building founded on the doctrine of Christ, delivered by the prophets, the Old Testament, and the apostles of the new. God dwells in all believers now, and they become the temple of God through the working of the blessed spirit. Okay, so, so that, that, that helps me to, to see what Paul is doing here. It's a new identity, a new identity given to those who believe it. So when he says, therefore, remember, he's saying, so that by God's grace, through faith in Christ, your transgressions, your identity of sinner is removed from you, and a new identity is given to you. You are, you are a a citizen of God's kingdom. You are a member of his household. You are part of the building that is founded on him. And inside that building, the spirit of the living God is pleased to dwell. And that, that is the transition in the book of Ephesians where he, he goes from the, the gospel of how one is saved into what that means in the life of the believer. That's where the transition in this book is. Where he says, this building in which the Spirit of God dwells, that is the church, not the, not the, build, not the physical building of the church, but the people that are, that are the church of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And when that is the case, your life can look different. How, how are you partakers of the promise of Jesus Christ? Well, let's look at that. And, and uh, this this. Today's passage falls short of my wife's favorite verse, which is just a few verses later. Um, but, but he's going to talk about that, that now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that you could ask or even think, to him be the glory. And so as he talks about biblically the good life, that as Christians we get to partake in the good life, what does that mean? Well, Let's let Scripture tell us what the good life is. Because the prosperity gospel is going to say, let us define the good life, and then God will give me that thing that I want. But instead, Scripture says that meditate on the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, the, close, the more we spend in God's word, being informed by his spirit, our desires change into his desires. He gives us new desires. And so the satisfaction that comes from these identities, the satisfaction that comes from this exceedingly abundantly beyond, this good life, we're going to look at the rest of the the book of, of Ephesians is going to talk about unity, that we are one in Christ, unity within the body of Christ, unity and harmony within the family, within the workplace, and then closing out with spiritual warfare, how being, being one of God's, not, yes, it does paint a target on your back for the devil, but... 
God does not stop there. He gives you the armor of God. And so there's kind of our nutshell as we go forward through this book of Ephesians and how he is beginning with the gospel. And for those that have believed it, here's what that means. And so this this part in verse 3, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He, he talks about this mystery, this mystery, this mystery. He refers to it multiple times. And verse 6 is where he says what it is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I'm not going to get in the weeds here, I promise. Um, I had a, a, an enjoyable conversation about this very thing with AJ this week. And, uh, but but th- th- there, are, there are different schools of thought on this. You know, there, there's a school of thought that says this means that Gentile believers in, in the New Testament, in the covenant, the, the new covenant that Jesus gives us, that then Gentile believers are, are mixed in with Jewish believers and we're all the same and there is no different. Well, Paul does say it in, in Christ there's not, neither Jew nor Greek. And he, and he does he does say something to that effect. But does that mean that we are the new Israel, and now go, we can go back and all of the old promises and covenants um, apply to us? Um, well, no one was asking that, but now that I've posed it, <laughs> now everyone's wondering that. That's diff- that's a tough question, and that is one that there is there is not unanimous consent among scholars on that. But but there are different schools of thought. Uh, one school of thought says yes, but that means that the national identity of the nation of Israel is kind of erased. And then we have a problem with the Abrahamic covenant when God said, for all your generations. Well, what did he mean? Did he mean for all your generations or just the ones up until Christ died on the cross and then, uh, I'm done with you guys? Well, when God makes a covenant, we may not hold up our end, but he holds up his end. In the Abrahamic covenant, God holds both ends of that. And so that can't be the case. And so I would like to point you to the phrase, the three words, in Christ Jesus. Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Okay, God gave a lot of promises to the Jewish people, and God keeps all of his promises. And you know what? They got some pretty great promises. I mean, one of them is like literally the land. Okay, one of them is that, that, the, that the Messiah, that the world would have the opportunity to be saved through them. All right, that's pretty cool. But you know what the best promise is? The promise that we can have our sins forgiven. Well, I know for sure we get to partake in that one. And that's the promise in Christ Jesus. That is the, the, the new covenant in his blood, as he said at the Last Supper. That promise for sure, whether we, um, whether we all are basically Jewish now or there's no such thing um, or not, is kind of irrelevant. We are partakers in that promise, the one through Christ Jesus, through the gospel. As we wrap up here, I want to look at verse 11. Or actually, verse, uh, let's start at verse 10. It's kind of the middle of a very long sentence. But he says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God might be known. What is that wisdom? Well, principally, he's talking about the integration of Jew and Gentile in this new institution called the church. Hey, let's bring together two groups that have historically not gotten along. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Well, Scripture says it is the manifold wisdom of God that this thing that that shouldn't work is going to work. There's not going to be the Jewish believers in their church over here and the Gentile believers in their church over here and like they kind of just, they have their own potlucks because they can't agree on what's okay to eat and they have their own, their own, uh, their own dress code because some, you know, these ones think that you can't have to wear this and those things you can't. No, Paul's saying, no, 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 there's unity in the body of Christ. And he's going to go on, we're going to look at that next week. That, that in, the, in the family, this new family, this household of God, there is unity and there is not favorite kids and less favorite kids. Okay, that's a recipe for a disaster. Um, take a look at um, Jacob. And his family had a couple of wives, and uh, the ones from the one wife were his favorite kids, and all the ones from the other were his least favorite kids. How did that work out? Not fantastic. Look at David, who had way too many wives, and he had some favorite kids and some whatever kids. That didn't really pan out well. No, in the, the family of God, God, God is not that kind of father. God does not have favorite children He sent his only son for us all equally. There are not the ones that Jesus had to die for and the ones that Jesus had to just come and get. No, it cost him the same. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. And so that, and he's talking about, he's not really talking about governments. He's talking, when he's talking about rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, these are kind of the, these are the unseen spiritual warfare kind of like the other side. If the curtain could be pulled back, that's what we would see. I got nothing else for you on that one. That's, God doesn't give us a lot about that, except that we know it's real. And so that it may be known to the other team that, no, you can't drive a wedge here. This is the body of Christ. There is unity here. We are all saved by the same gospel. We all serve the same God. We all are promised the same eternity with him. Unity in Christ Jesus. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that that promise that he made in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God is speaking to the when God is speaking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise or crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That, Genesis chapter 3, is the first promise of the gospel. That is the promise that is realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was the eternal purpose from the beginning. From the beginning, God knew 
the choices we would make. God knew that sin was going to come in and that he would be glorified through saving us through Jesus Christ. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So far, and I I will close with this, so far has he removed our transgressions from us that we don't live under that cloud. Have you ever been in trouble for something? Have you ever, (laughs) some of us know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been under that cloud where it's like, I, I stepped out of line maybe when you were a kid and you were in trouble with dad and there was like a month that you had to kind of walk on eggshells or you were on a short leash because... They couldn't trust you. That is not the relationship we have with God our Father in Christ Jesus. In whom, because of Jesus' complete work on the cross, he didn't just remember, oh, remember what what Ethan talked about last week. Mercy is that not getting the punishment we rightfully deserve. And grace is that unmerited favor that we didn't earn, but we get it anyway. It's those two things coming together. He didn't just pardon our sins. He also adopted us into his family. And so we don't live, it's not that we've been forgiven, but we live under that cloud. Like, I'm sorry. I, I, like I'm, no, we are not worthy in and of ourselves to approach the throne. But because of Christ, we can. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so we pray. We pray for our families. We pray for our church. We pray for our community. We pray for our needs that God would meet them. And we approach his throne with confidence because he's not just, he is an almighty God who has pardoned our iniquities, but he is also our heavenly father. My favorite Things, lines that Jesus said is, you know, who, who of you, if, you're, if your child asks you for a fish, like lunch, will give him a snake instead? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children whom you love, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to his children? We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so the Apostle Paul asks us not to lose heart over what he is suffering, which is our glory. A lot here. There's a lot in this this book. I love the epistles, partly because they almost preach themselves, but also also because it's it's this, hey, listen, I don't know, I'm I'm in jail, I'm going on trial, I don't know how this is going to shake out, so if I can just leave, like if this is the last letter I write, I want to make sure you know this stuff. And so it is kind of like that getting back to square one, the foundation on which we build our faith and our Christian life is right here. The promises we can lean on as well as how we can know that we're part of them. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for that gift of salvation. God, we there is nothing we could deserve less in this world than forgiveness from you. 
We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of your glory, and yet you've made a way that we can not only have our sins forgiven, but that we can also know you, that we can pray to you like we are right now, boldly and with confidence approach your throne, not because we are worthy, but because Christ is worthy. God, may we not forget that. May we never forget that we, too, were at one time strangers and aliens. We were far from you. We were without hope and without God in the world. But Jesus Christ came and made a way. God, may we never forget that. May we never look at people around us and think that we're better than them. May we always be reminded that they need to know you so that they can be part of the same family, the same kingdom, the same building in which the Spirit of God dwells. May we always remember this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.